Big show, hour four, continuing on this Friday. Live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Worried about radon? Well, we install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Week three is here. Got underway last night in San Francisco with the Niners blowing out the Giants. The rest of the games will get underway on Sunday. It's going to be a great slate, and we go down that Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to be joined by Jordan Jajani, uh, NFL writer for CBSSports.com. Jordan, thank you so much for joining me on this Friday. How are you doing? Yo, yo, my friends, what's going on? I appreciate you having me on the show today. Hey, not a problem. Thank you so much. Uh, takeaways from that Thursday nighter last night, uh, San Francisco obviously uh, flexing what they can do on offense and obviously on that defensive side of things as they uh, as they worked the New York Giants last night a little bit as uh, poor Daniel Jones was, uh, was uh, a little bit frightful seeing that defense. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, that game kind of went exactly how we thought it was, mm-hmm. right? I think the spread was minus 10.5 yep. for the 49ers. They, are the, they were the first double-digit favorites, by the way, in the NFL this season, which was kind of interesting. So, able to cover the spread. Uh, the Giants' offensive line, we were down a couple players. They didn't look very good. Um, and, yeah, Daniel Jones was under pressure nearly half the time. So, life was hard on him. But on top of that, the, the Giants did not do anything to attempt to uh, establish the run game. And I understand mm. the 49ers have one of the best defenses in the league, but the Giants ran the ball a total of 11 times, which is their fewest rushing attempts in a game since 1989 versus the Rams when Bill Barcells was the head coach. Wow. So, no surprise there. The 49ers are coasting. They appear to be the best team in the league through three weeks. Yeah, uh, they've they're full. Uh, they're getting the their everything that they were uh, billed at at the start of the year is going through for right now through the first three weeks. Can you think of any player that maybe just has fit in more perfectly with a team than Christian McCaffrey has? No, no, not at all. I absolutely can't. I mean, McCaffrey was a star with the Panthers, but when he was traded to San Francisco, I was very worried about his injury history, Mm -hmm. and I was wondering if he was truly going to be the player that was going to help the 49ers get over that hump and get back to the Super Bowl and, you know, crown themselves the champions of the NFL world. But to this point, I mean, he's been absolutely incredible, and you have to wonder what would have happened with San Francisco if Brock Purdy did not get hurt in that NFC Mm -hmm. title game against the Philadelphia Eagles. But the bottom line is, I mean, Kyle Shanahan is probably the best offensive mastermind we have in the NFL. Maybe Andy Reid has an argument as well. But with what he does with his running backs, I mean, there's no one who's better than Shanahan. And Christian McCaffrey is the ultimate dual-threat weapon. He's still like a glove out in San Francisco. And there's a reason the 49ers have not lost a regular season game ever since McCaffrey was acquired. It's amazing. Yeah, Ty Jerry Rice's uh, touchdown record for consecutive games with the touchdown. So has a chance to break it next week. Uh, another team that we talked about earlier on in the, in the, in the season who's uh, is 2-0 and to start, uh, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, great start through first two weeks. Uh, yesterday, though, uh, some really bad news to their defense as Trayvon Diggs uh, goes down, tears his ACL on a non-contact, one-on-one drill in practice. Uh, it's just an awful situation. It's been a bad year, this uh, bad start to the year for injuries, catastrophic injuries. But uh, what you read on Trayvon Diggs and, and the loss, I know it's he's kind of like a, a boom-and-bust type player that, you know, he's, he can pick the ball off, he can be such a ball hawk, but he can be, he can be beat on some plays as well. But just that loss of Diggs to this defense. Yeah, he's an aggressive defensive back. There's no doubt about it. I mean, boom or bust, maybe he's not the best way to play, yeah. but he certainly yeah. is a playmaker, right? He's going to be aggressive in the secondary, and you have to appreciate that. 
I mean, this is a blow to the best defense in the NFL. There's no doubt about it. I mean, through two games this year, I think Diggs allowed two of eight completions, 26 yards, had one interception and a forced fumble as well. So he was on his way to another incredible campaign. But the bottom line is, I still think the Cowboys have one of the best defenses in the NFL. Um, they have some depth in the secondary. I think they're going to take Deron Bland out of the nickel back and put him on the outside. Um, so, you know, there's it obviously takes the wind out of the sails a little bit considering how hot of a start the Cowboys had, and now they're going to be down one of their best defensive playmakers for the entire season. But, I mean, let's be real. The Cowboys have maybe the best defensive coordinator in the NFL in Dan Quinn, and mm-hmm. he certainly has put his stamp on this team over the past couple of years. I think the Cowboys are going to be fine. I, I'm not trying to overlook this as not a huge loss. But this is not something that's going to take the Cowboys out of playoff contention or contention for the NFC East either. I have faith in this coaching staff and in this roster in general that they're going to be able to game plan to make up for this loss. So we'll see what they're capable of moving forward. That defense has allowed only 10 points through two games, and they got the 0-2 Arizona Cardinals on Sunday. Uh, In Chicago, uh, GM Ryan Poles held an impromptu presser yesterday addressing the uh, Justin Fields comments about how he's being coached and uh, just how this young quarterback is dealing with the ebbs and flows. Do you think there's more concern with with Fields' ability as a passer in this offense and that they need to do something better with the coaching? That the talent is there, but are the coaches maybe uh, bringing Fields down to where a level where he doesn't like it? Oh, man. I mean, we could spend an entire segment on the Chicago Bears. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, with Justin Fields, okay, listen, he has an internal clock issue. Um, he's not hitting open wide receivers. Mm-hmm. There's blame to go around when it comes to Justin Fields. But yeah. the main problem, in my opinion, is absolutely the coaching staff. It's absolutely offensive coordinator Luke Getze. And, and the numbers speak for themselves. I mean, Justin Fields' average pass length has been cut in half from last season, 9.1 yards to 4.5. He's only has two design rushes per game. He had 4.9 last season, 19% of passing attempts with 10 plus air yards. Uh, he had 38% of those last year. All the metrics are down. He's not being used correctly when we're talking about a dual threat signal caller who's still a bit raw as a pocket passer. And that's why you have the comments from Fields this week saying, you know what, I got to trust myself. I got to do me. I got to be able to lean on my strengths because what I'm being told from the offensive coordinator clearly is not working. So yeah. I don't think that the two are exactly meshing together. I think it's, I'll put it this way, I think it's a very lazy take to put all the blame on Justin Fields for Chicago's slow start. I think he's a talent, but he needs to be utilized correctly, and Chicago's having a very tough time of doing that. Yeah, I got to try to get him going with his legs a little bit more, I feel like. He, he hasn't, he's got like two design runs, I think, against Tampa Bay. It just, it just doesn't feel right for Justin Fields so with what he can bring to an offense. Exactly. It's about design rushes, and that number's down to two from 4.9 last season. And let's be real, it should be over five. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not using play action as much as they were. I think they're 11% of passing attempts are coming off of play action. Last season, it was 34%. They're trying to force fields into the pocket. He needs to get outside of the pocket. He needs to establish the run game to utilize the passing game. So, like I said, everything's not going right. I would be game planning completely opposite for what the Bears are doing with fields right now. In uh, Minnesota, it's going to be the Desperation Bowl at U.S. Bank Stadium. The 0-2 Vikings host the 0-2 Chargers. Uh, We know the stats. Six teams have made the playoffs after starting 0-3, and if I can probably pinpoint two clubs that have let their fan bases down more over the last decade and a half, it's probably these two. Who is going to be, like, obviously, you both are going to need it to make the playoffs, but 
when it, when it comes to like the division in the future, like who could maybe be okay with losing at 0-3? I, I mean, you go 0-3, probably not making the playoffs, but who's going to probably take it more and maybe needs it more on Sunday? Yeah, I think this is the game of the week, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, which is funny. Two 0-2 teams facing off. They both need this win desperately, but I'll, I mean, let's be real. I think that the AFC has been the better, or not has been, but we is perceived to be mm-hmm. the better conference. They haven't fared well against the NFC early on, but I think more people would admit that there's more talent on the AFC side yeah. of things, and that's why I believe the Chargers need this win more than anyone else. I mean, the wild card spots in the AFC are going to be an absolute crapshoot. It's mm-hmm. going to be so tough to secure one of those. And the Chargers are in a division with the reigning Super Bowl champion and the best quarterback yeah. in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. So I believe the Chargers need this win more than the Vikings. Uh, it's in Minnesota. Ultimately, I do think that the Chargers emerge victorious. I think I picked them in my weekly gambling column. Um, you know, the Vikings on the defensive side of the ball have really rattled me. Mm-hmm. I thought the hiring of Brian Flores was, was going to fix things, but it says a lot that Baker Mayfield in the season opener can waltz into Minnesota, figure out all of the defensive signals yeah. by halftime and use that to his advantage uh, to reel off a bunch of points in the second half and get the win. So I'm leaning towards the Chargers in this matchup, but there's no doubt that both teams have been disappointing up to this point. Uh, so overall, like uh, the Bengals are also 0-2, joining the Chargers and Vikings at, at, at the at, without a win right now. And Joe Burrow, he's he was seen at practice with a with a sleeve on his calf. How much of concern is that calf? Uh, we obviously know the stats. Teams go 0-3, they don't make the playoffs, and that division might be one of the toughest in all of football. The Bengals go 0-3. What's going to happen there? I think it's a huge concern. I think that this is the biggest story in the NFL right now, in my opinion. I mean, the Bengals have a decision to make whether they want to shut Burrow down for a couple games Mm -hmm. or put him out there not 100%. And again, we're talking about a calf injury, which has the potential to linger. And that's not something you want with your quarterback. I mean, not only does it affect his mobility, but I think it affects the way he plants his Mm -hmm. foot when he goes to drop back and everything like that. So, This is a very important injury. It's something to keep in mind. I feel like if Cincinnati were going to place him on IR, we would have seen that already. And Joe Burrow's trying to hold out some hope that he can suit up. But it's going to be fascinating to see how effective he looks if he does suit up in this Super Bowl rematch. I think this is the story in the NFL because if the Bengals go to 0-3, it definitely puts them behind the eight ball, especially in arguably the best division in the NFL. And again, what is perceived to be the superior conference in the league. Yeah, and that, that is a pesky L.A. Ram team, I think, coming into uh, uh, to uh, Paycor Stadium there on Monday night. We're talking with Jordan Dijani, uh NFL writer for CBSSports.com. How do you think we're going to view Russell Wilson's career when it's all said and done? As, as we see, he continues to have the struggles here in Denver. I know it's still early, but the early returns aren't that great. And that's a franchise that they're probably getting a little impatient with. They're, they're currently in the longest playoff drought, tied for the longest playoff drought in Broncos history, as long as they've been in the NFL. How many more years can they keep doing this with Russell Wilson and before they have to figure out, okay, we, ha- we, we made the mistake, this was a bad trade? I mean, who says it has to be years? If things yeah. keep up the way they are, they're going to have to have a tough conversation about his contract this offseason. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's been interesting because, overall, I think Russell Wilson has looked, quote-unquote, better mm-hmm. than he did with Nathaniel Hackett. But the biggest thing is that his play is dropping off in the second half. Just look at the numbers through week two. He comes out firing, throwing touchdowns in the first half, and then in the second half, they just fall apart. 
And the other thing is, and I feel like this is something not being discussed by a lot of people, but Russell Wilson now does not have the backing of one of the best defenses in the league. I mean, the Broncos were a top five unit for most of the year in 2022. Mm -hmm. This year under Vance Joseph, they have fallen off in a big way. And that directly affects not only the Broncos team as a whole, but the offense and Russell Wilson's performance as well. So that's something to keep an eye on. The Broncos have been the worst team at applying pressure to opposing quarterbacks. You don't win football uh, when you put up stats like that. So, you know, Sean Payton is still one of the best offensive minds in the game. He's going to continue to adjust and learn what his system needs to do for his veteran quarterback and his offensive line and his weapons. Um, and, you know, I think there was an article that came out this week talking about how Sean Payton is trying to simplify some of these play calls to put his offense more at ease. But, man, Denver has another tough test this week yeah. against the undefeated Miami Dolphins. And guess who leads that Dolphins defense, <laughs> by the way? Former Broncos yep. head coach Vic Fangio, who appears to be one of the best offseason additions through, additions through two weeks. So, a tough test. And, yeah, you asked a good question. I don't know how we're going to view Russell Wilson in, in terms of the grand scheme of his career. But he has an opportunity to bounce back. There's plenty of football left mm-hmm. to be played. And I'm very intrigued to see how Sean Payton uh, is going to switch things up as the regular season progresses. Yeah, you mentioned that the Broncos into Miami on Sunday. Has there been a more impressive start to a season among the 32 teams? Like going opposite coast to open the year, uh, and winning two different two games, stylistically very different from the way you beat the Chargers in Week One to the way you beat the Patriots in Week Two. How dangerous can this Dolphins be with a healthy Tua Tagovailoa? So the Dolphins could be legitimate Super Bowl contenders yeah. if we were playing Madden video games where the injuries <laughs> were turned off, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the biggest holdup when it comes to Miami is staying healthy. And I'm not even just talking about Tua Tagovailoa. I'm yeah. talking about the offensive line. I'm talking about the defense as a whole. This is a team that has been through the ringer when it comes to injuries over the past couple of seasons. And, of course, Tua Tagovailoa being the quarterback is definitely the most important guy. But, man, you know, like I said, Vic Fangio has improved this defense immediately. I still think they have a ways to go in terms of being one of the best units in the entire National Football League. But Mike McDaniel, man, what a hire. What an <laughs> right. offensive mind. This guy is getting the most out of Tyree Kill. He's doing more than Andy Reid did with Tyree Kill. Yep. Uh, the run game, by the way, looks a lot better than it did last mm-hmm. year. And I'm excited to see how they incorporate the rookie, Devon A. Chain, yep. moving forward. He was active for his first game last week against New England. But Tua Tagovailoa, once again, is having a career season. So I'm hoping that he can remain healthy because he's one of the favorites mm-hmm. to win MVP. And I don't know. I just find myself rooting for yep, this me guy too. because remember through the early stages of his season, of his career, people were saying, "Oh, he's trash and he's not doing mm-hmm. he's not doing enough. He needs to be benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick mid game." Well, ever since they moved on from Brian Flores, uh, the Dolphins have been on the right track. So, to answer your question, yeah, I definitely think Miami is legitimate Super Bowl contenders. But man, this roster needs to stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, they do indeed. Uh, does Nathaniel Hackett? Are we're getting? Are we getting exposed to Nathaniel Hackett not being a very good coach again without a good quarterback? As you know, I get it. He had, he won the job. He got a head coaching job at Jacksonville, helping out Blake Bortles. Them getting to an AFC championship. You know, he gets to Green Bay. He has Aaron Rodgers. Has two MVP seasons. Then last year without Rodgers, I mean, he's given a great quarterback. We think in Russell Wilson doesn't go that well with him being a head coach. Now he's in with the Jets got to deal with Zach Wilson. The play calling, at least through Zach Wilson's style, hasn't been all that great on the offense. Is it time that Nathaniel Hackett needs to get better at his job? Or, or are the Jets going to be out of it before they have to maybe even attempt at trading a quarterback if they don't 
really right the ship quickly because their kryptonite's coming into MetLife on Sunday and Bill Belichick. Yeah, it's tough to say, man. I mean, Aaron Rodgers certainly hides a lot of blemishes, yeah. so it's really tough to say if Nathaniel Hackett is a good or bad offensive coordinator. He certainly was not a good head coach. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, you got to give him the benefit of the doubt because, I mean, game planning with Zach Wilson as your quarterback mm-hmm. is probably the most challenging thing I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, Zach Wilson, not to be too hard on the kid, but, you know, statistically he's been one of the worst quarterbacks over the past couple decades when it comes to his starts with the Jets. Uh, he's thrown two touchdowns compared to seven interceptions against the Patriots. With him as the starter versus New England, uh, the Jets have averaged fewer than 10 points a game. So, Zach Wilson is someone who struggles when it comes to reading defenses, going through progression, footwork, a lot of simple things when it comes to quarterbacking. And when that's your starting signal caller on Sundays, you're kind of limited in what you can do, right? you got to pound mm-hmm. the rock. you got to make it simplified in the passing game. So Hackett, I mean, you, you, would, you would definitely more ideally have someone like Andy Reid in charge <laughs> of an offense like that. And Nathaniel Hackett is certainly not Andy Reid. So, I'm very interested to see what happens this weekend. And I do think that this is one of the games of the week because let's say the Patriots come and they win their 15th straight game against the Jets mm-hmm. and Zach Wilson throws 100 interceptions <laughs> once again. What are the Jets going to do at quarterback, right? I've been saying ever, ever, I've been saying ever since Aaron Rodgers went down that if this team wants to compete, they need to peruse the trade market and pick up someone like Jameis Winston or Jacoby Brissett, someone who's going to be more of a game manager and at least halfway more effective than Zach Wilson is at quarterback. Mm-hmm. So keep an eye on that storyline. And, and the other storyline, of course, is how the Jets' offense looks uh, in week three with Zach Wilson at quarterback. Because to your point, Nathaniel Hackett has to do something differently. In my opinion, he absolutely needs to rely on his running backs, both yep. on the ground and through the air. That's how you adjust to uh, having Zach Wilson as your quarterback, in my opinion. Yeah, we'll see. I'm sure Bill will have uh, many, uh, many fun plays called up uh, for Zach Wilson to deal with <laughs> on Sunday. Jordan, thank you so much for uh, for talking with me. Enjoy all the games on Sunday. We'll do this again very soon, I'm sure. Absolutely. Always appreciate you. Thank you. There you go. There's Jordan Dijani, NFL writer from CBSSports.com. Yeah, it's going to be uh, a fun one there in uh, in New York. Uh, Low-key, uh, one of the games to watch. As we talked about the, the, stand, the schedule this week, not a lot of great games, you think, but then you really break it down. It's like, yeah, a lot of these games matter a bit. You know, that L.A.-Minnesota game, one of those teams is going to go to 0-3. Of course, they could tie, but you go 0-3. I mentioned it there with Jordan. Six teams have made the playoffs after starting 0-3, and it hasn't been since 2018 in the Houston Texans uh, turning it around. So maybe Minnesota, they could start 0-3 because their division's a little bit down, and they could probably maybe pull themselves out of it compared to an L.A. Charger group where they have to deal with the Kansas City Chiefs and, I mean, Denver and, and Vegas, whatever, but they still have to deal with the Chiefs. And then the AFC, the route, was like we're not talking maybe winning the division. It's just getting to the wild card when you have to compete against teams like Cleveland and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and uh, Jacksonville, uh, Baltimore. They're all, they're all going to be around there, so it's going to be tough for, for the L.A. Chargers to pull themselves out of it if they do fall to 0-3, but... Uh, we will see. That is uh, going to be a fun one. Should be some point. A lot of points scored there on uh, Sunday at U.S. Bank between the Vikings and the Chargers. Other games watching uh, the Saints and Packers. That'll be a fun one. Saints two and zero. I talked about it earlier in this week uh, with the boys. The Saints' schedule to start is great. Like they could really rally off a couple big wins here. They go into Green Bay. They're in your three and zero. You go home. You get Tampa Bay. Then you go to New England, you go to Houston, you bring in Jacksonville, you go to Indy, and then you got Chicago. And this is, we're into November now. The Saints could really be an eight-win team, nine-win team as we get 
more into November, but that's the schedule. Anything can happen on Sundays. Uh, lots to happen. But that was uh, our chat with Jordan down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Around the corner, we're going to have some fun, GVP. Yes, you posed a lot of great questions yes. here on this little rundown. Yeah, little... Hopefully, I got the answers. Yeah, so. hopefully. Yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all subjective here. Yes. This is all opinions. So we got some burning NHL questions as training camps are open up around the league. Flames' first preseason game is on Sunday. Some burning questions with GVP around the corner as Big Show Hour 4 continues here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back. Big Show Hour 4, live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls. Well, we have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Hockey on the airwaves tonight. Calgary Hitman, season opener, home opener. They welcome Medicine Hat Tigers to the Scotiabank Saddle Dome tonight. You'll, our boy Matty Rose is going to be on the color analyst side with Jeff Hollick. Logan Gordon will be hosting the pregame and postgame and intermissions. So we got you all locked up here for the Calgary Hitmen in their season opener tonight, 7 o'clock against the Medicine Hat Tigers as well. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays there in action tonight, beginning a three-game set down at the Trop in St. Pete with the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Toronto coming in tonight, a half game up on the Seattle Mariners and Texas Rangers for that second wild card spot. Uh, Tampa Bay, man, they're, they're, they're full. They're going after... Uh, the Baltimore Orioles, who, uh, you know, so, so the baseball matters tonight for the Tampa Bay Rays as well as so their game and a half back of Baltimore. So lots on the line this evening as uh, the Yankees, or rather the Jays and Rays begin a series. It'll be Chris Bassett up against Tyler Glasnow. NHL training camps opening up around the league. Flames got underway yesterday uh, with everything going on. Uh, day two session underway right now. They'll have their first preseason game on Sunday. And uh, it's time to get ramped up for the season preview yes. here. Just like what's going to be happening, who's who's gone where, what's going to happen. So, GVP, I've uh, I've curated a couple, few questions here for mm-hmm. for us to uh, debate around here as uh, some burning NHL questions with GVP. Yeah, yeah, nice little bed here. Um, we'll start in town here. We'll start mm-hmm. locally with uh, local hockey heroes, Makes the Calgary sense. Flames. Uh, last year, it's safe to say that the you know lack of production, goaltending, record in one-score games, the overtime losses uh, were all factors in the Flames missing the playoffs. Mm-hmm. For Calgary to get back to the postseason, what needs to have a complete 180? Just one thing. What needs to have Ooh, a complete one thing. 180 for the Flames to make the playoffs? Well, if it's one thing, I was about to list off a litany well, of you things got a list, I feel sure. like... With, with everything that went wrong last season, a lot of the blame fell on Daryl Sutter's plate, which is... You know, that tends to happen in sports where a coach gets scapegoated yep. and then he gets moved on. I'm not saying Daryl should have been sticking around. Obviously, he had to go and there was a bit of toxicity mm-hmm. in that room and whatnot. But what really went wrong with last season, the brunt of it falls on the plate of the players. And I'm looking at Jonathan Huberdeau. You can't be a guy who was, was brought here to be a 100-point player and then you have the worst drop-off in NHL history. Uh, That's historic, yeah. A historic drop-off. Yeah. So, like, this is a guy who's going to be entering this season, going to be making $10.5 million dollars. Mm-hmm. A player that the Flames have never paid this much money amount to. He's the highest paid Flame of all time. He can't be a 60-point guy. Simple as that. He needs to get back to, at the very, very least, an 80-point season. Mm -hmm. The very least. Rick Ball, we had him on earlier on. He said the over-under should be set at 90. I I, I would honestly take the under on that. From a lot of what I saw last season, I didn't see 
and, like, if there, he's going to be that hundred point yeah, guy. Yeah, exactly, again. exactly. Yeah. And then, and then the other guy I'm looking at too is the man between the pipes, Jacob Markstrom. Yeah, we course. had so many one goal games last season. If he was able to just steal a couple of those mm -hmm. or just be average last season, yeah. we're a playoff team. Exactly. You and, win, you win two or three of those overtime games. You're in the postseason. Yeah. You could still have 14 overtime losses. But they had 17. Mm -hmm. If they cut those by three, they're in the postseason. Exactly. So. And then the whole vibe around this team in this entire offseason would have been drastically different mm -hmm. if we just managed to get in. Because if you get in, I know there's, there's chances. going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. But that being said, we still might have been a first-round exit last season. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. Just I, getting I to look the dance at Jacob is all that matters. Yeah, but, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's going to fall on the, on the goaltending for sure. And whether that's... Uh, if it's 60 games for, for Markstrom or 50 games and then everybody else uh, with Wolf and, and Vladar or whoever just plays out the rest. Goaltending's got to be better. And yeah, I think it's, it's going to be the, the, the production's got to come from yeah. the top guys. And I like Lindholm's got to be better. Obviously, Huberdeau's got to be better. Or even some depth scoring. Like I'd, I'd love to yeah. see Mangiapane get felt, back to 35. Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like that's something we, that's kind of flown underneath the yeah. radar here a little bit. Even with Nazem Kadri, like again, we we put a huge mm -hmm. investment into this guy. He's yep. at seven by seven, and we need him to be one of our be, core guys. You want him to be Nazem Kadri again? Yeah, exactly. Be Nazem Kadri. Be mm -hmm. that thorn in everybody's side again. I don't want to see any more of that that bad body no, not, language you don't and want to all be, that. You don't like, want to be. You don't want to skirt the line. You want to be a dirty. No, player. I'm not saying that. But you I'm, want to be that thorn. I you just want, want to him to be guy. engaged again. Yeah, exactly. And, and playing with an edge and mm -hmm. and being that type like of player. A, you know, gives exactly. a you know what. Yeah. yeah, he got his Stanley Cup. Now everything's free. Is everything whatever? No, it's 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 go time for a guy like Nazem Kadri as well. So, yeah, hard to not disagree with anything there. I think, uh, yeah, uh, a guy like Dylan Dubé, who we've been mm -hmm. talking about for, for years now. Is, uh, as can a, he move into a top can, six role? Can be Maybe. a breakout type guy. So bottom six guys, I'm not I'm not going to be relying on guys like Matthew Coronado, Jacob Pelche to make impacts. Yeah, you want them to show up and be like, yeah, they can be NHL players, but it's still going to be on this this top the top players in this group to, to get them back uh, to April if they want to continue playing. Totally agree. Yeah. Up the road in Edmonton, Connor McDavid seemingly finds uh, another gear year in and year out. Last year, he had... 154 points. Yeah. Will Connor McDavid hit 170 points this season? He went pointless in only seven games last year. Yeah, it, it feels Is like... Is 170 a possibility for Connor uh, McDavid? I'm not sure about 70. That feels like a slightly too high. But like you said, a guy like Connor McDavid, like this is not the guy you want to bet against mm -hmm. when we're talking about this. Is he going to have another 60-goal season? I think he's going to be right around there mm -hmm. for sure again because last year was really the first season we've ever yep. really seen him goal be goal hungry. Yeah, yeah. It, it was his, his uh, like he's going to have to have sixty, and you know because like, like he had one hundred and ten. So sorry, he had one hundred and fifty. Yeah, sorry, he had one hundred and fifty three points last year. So that's seventeen points away from one hundred and seventy. Right. How many games did he have one point in? I didn't look at that, but I know what you're trying to say. But is one sixty? I think around. I think 160 yeah. is in the realm of possibility because he can definitely get to 100 100 assists. Like a 60 if, goal like a 60 goal 90 assist season. I, I think that's doable. Yeah, I like think that, that's, that's definitely 150. Doable. So I I think he could do 60 and 100. Yeah. I, 60 I think, and 100 assists, eh? I think I think that, that's doable. That would be really cool. That'd be really cool to see. I, I cuz I don't think he's going to get to 70 goals even mm. though he was on on that track. I feel like that's just too high of a clip yeah. to maintain. It is. And, and playmaking is his forte, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and he, he's also the guy riding shotgun with him exactly. is not a stranger to putting pucks in the net either. Exactly. So, I, I think 100 assists is possible. <laughs> it, is, it feels like a stretch, I know, but if there's anyone on the planet who can do it, it's yeah. Connor McDavid. 
Uh, we'll keep it in the Pacific Division here. Vegas, Edmonton, LA, and Seattle were the four teams that made the playoffs. Will this division send another four teams to the postseason? And if Calgary was to be one of those four, which one falls out and why? Man, because uh, if, if we're looking at the three teams that are I feel like are going to be locks for this, obviously the defending cup champions, Vegas. Mm -hmm. Will they have cup hangover? I don't think so. I think they're pretty pretty solid and pretty deep up front. They're, think, they're a team built for, for the spring anyway. Yeah. So if there's a slow start in Vegas, I wouldn't worry. Yeah, and any team that has McDavid and Drysaddle on it, they're going to get dragged to the playoffs. It, it feels like no matter what from here on out, as long as they're playing in their prime yeah. prime ways right now. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this honestly comes down to the Seattle Kraken, in my opinion. And, mm -hmm. and it honestly doesn't have a lot to do with the Kraken themselves. It has to do with the Flames. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it with that first question there. If, if Huberto is able to get back to his ways, if Markstrom is even mm -hmm. half of what he was during that Vesna candidacy season, if Majapahit can become back and provide some depth scoring and all yep. of that, they're a better team than Seattle Kraken on paper. And that's not a knock at Seattle. I, no, I love Jared I McCann's I game. Yep. I love Matt, Matty Beneers, and if he's able to continue to progress. He's Is there another 40-goal season for Dreyer McCann? Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, all that. Yeah. And, and their goaltending can be questionable at times. Like, Grubauer had a really good postseason, but for the most part of that regular season, he was nothing exceptional. Mm -hmm. So, I, I would think Seattle is the team to fall out, but they're kind of like that that original Vegas team where they're a misfit and like they mm -hmm. play as a unit and they're really hard to play against. Yeah. So they, it, it's not a knock against them, yeah. but if Calgary is able to get back to their full potential, they're a playoff team. Mm -hmm. I agree there. Dave Haxtell as well has done a bang-up job there in Seattle. Uh, since the league expanded to 32 teams, there's a good chance that there will be five teams uh, that made the playoffs last year. That won't make it this year. Of the 16 teams that were in the postseason last year, which five could possibly fall out and what five could go in? Some candidates for you to fall out. I'll give you some names. Boston, the Islanders, Seattle, L.A. maybe, Winnipeg. Some candidates in the East to, uh, or sorry, and then maybe some candidates to possibly make it. Yeah. Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Ottawa, Calgary, Vancouver. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to start with Boston. I feel like this is a super, super interesting season for them. Obviously, they just had their captain retire, mm -hmm. and they named a new one in Brad Marchand. Mm -hmm. But look at their center depth right now. It is it is not great. Like, how can you call Pavel Zaka a first-line center in the NHL? No. You can't. Charlie Coyle, <laughs> yeah. Char Charlie Coyle yeah. as your second-line center, just this this depth down the middle it is so important to playoff teams. It's, it's honestly what I feel makes Los Angeles uh, – a cup dark horse to a certain extent with their depth down the middle. Mm -hmm. If I'm looking at Boston here, I feel like they just lost too much. Like mm -hmm. you're, you're losing Bar Bergeron. Krejci, I know, might not make an impact on other teams, but he's one of those system yep. guys, yeah, kind of exactly. similar to Michael Backlund here in Calgary, mm -hmm. where he's been around the team for so long, entrenched in that culture. Losing him is definitely a big knock to that lineup. And on the back end, they're, they're losing guys like Orlov. I, I know they still have a Vesna candidate, Goal, like a vested yeah. quality goaltender in Allmark, and, and it feels. But will they get the same goaltending again? They got they have the under yeah. two goals against almost goaltending from Swayman and Allmark all of last year. Yeah, it last year really felt like it was their last run as a team, and and they credit to them they they put up a, a outstanding regular season, mm -hmm. historic, the mm -hmm. best regular season of all time. But I I feel like the window is kind of closed on Boston. It, it feels wrong to say that they're going to miss the playoffs, but 
that's a name that comes to mind for me there. Um, it, it, the New York Islanders, I think, is another team. It's I think always that's a fall. team that's like, like, are they like? You look at them on paper, it's like this group's like, meh. But they, yeah, they, they, they are that way. They the way they play, the way they style, the, the stylistic play that the Islanders bring, the way Lou Lamarillo just goes about business. There. Yeah, the Islanders are always just that team that you can't, mm-hmm. you know, shake. But like, I also think, yeah, maybe they aren't. But just looking at their division, like mm-hmm. the Devils are better. They got super good goaltending so, last year from Sorokin. Oh, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, the the Islanders did yeah. correct. I I think the Devils are a better offensive team. Yeah. They play with a lot of speed. They're a younger team. I I think the Rangers are a better team as well. I, I don't know what they're going to be doing with Patrick Kane and and all that out there in New York. But from top to bottom, I think they're a better team. And, and Shesterkin like, should be able to have a bounce back year. In, uh, the, in division with the Islanders, it's like you think you expect Pittsburgh to be better. I think so. The Hurricanes, I think, are really solid, and this is like their window to try and get over the hump right now. Washington's probably not a playoff team. Philly, we know what they are. Mm-hmm. Columbus is a team that's probably not there yet. A couple years away. A couple years away. So it's really, it's like you could flip Pittsburgh and the Islanders easily. Yeah. yeah. That, that Those are the ones that I'm kind of interchangeable on, but if I'm going to. What about out west? Out west, um, it's it's the got to be the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, think. I think that's the team yeah. that falls out, right? Um, it, it just makes it, well, we we I shouldn't say that right now. We were expecting it, it, it's either them or the Kraken, and that it comes down to it's. It was literally just they 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 took out Pierre Luc Dubois, yeah, added in uh, Alex Alafalo, gave Velarde. Velarde will see what he is. He's a younger player. He, he I don't know if he can be that second line center for them right now, or maybe he plays on the wing. Who knows? Winnipeg's an interesting bunch. Uh-huh. I think if they get the goaltending and they get the way the same start that they did last year, because their start their start was what really got them into the playoffs because yeah. they hung on for dear life. Correct. And it was the really good start where they were the number one team in the Western Conference on what January third mm-hmm. to yeah. uh, to where they were barely getting in and then coming. Just yeah, it was really coming down to us, Nashville, and the Winnipeg yeah. Jets. I don't think Nashville's a playoff team. I don't think so either. But yeah, I think it's Seattle for me, probably, or Winnipeg that falls out. Maybe, yeah. Like again, with with, with Seattle and Winnipeg, it's mm-hmm. more of a question of how good are the Flames going to be, mm-hmm. more so than what are we going to expect from Winnipeg and Seattle. I feel like Seattle's a team that's again going to have another solid yeah, year. They are nothing's what they really are. changed yeah. for them. Nothing's changed. Nope. Exactly. So, and, and Winnipeg, th- there are some question marks there. How are they going to live life with after Dubois? And how big of a distraction is this Halibut thing for them? I don't think it's too big of a distraction right now. I think both Shifley and Halibut are saying all the right things heading into camp. Uh, I think it's a group that knows what they have to do, and the, and similar to Calgary, where they're going to cross that bridge when it comes to it. Mm-hmm. I, it. I don't think it's too big of a distraction right now. Okay. Okay, that's fair. If we're looking at some other teams that might be able to sneak in, I think Buffalo's a super Buffalo interesting team. Buffalo is a team I like. And, and Tage Thompson is an elite, like, forthcoming superstar yep. in this league. Can he, can he drag a team into the playoffs? Can he can he sneak in? He, Jeff Skinner kind of having a career renaissance a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like that's Defensively, I love what the Sabres are doing as yep. well with Darlene and Owen Power uh, coming along and growing up that defense. Buffalo's going to be a team to watch, and it could be – uh, definitely, they missed the playoffs by one point this this past year. So, anything can happen for uh, for the Buffalo Sabers. Uh, a couple more with you, GVP. It's still a growing season in Chicago, but their their first shiny new to- toys in town. Uh, Connor Bedard. Only seven 18 year olds in the history of the NHL have averaged a point per game during their 18 year old season. Wayne Gretzky, Dale Howarchuk, Sidney Crosby, Ron Francis, Patrick Kane, Steve Eiserman, and Ted Kennedy. Will Connor Bedard? 
be a point per game player yes. in his rookie year. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no hesitation. No on hesitation. That. I, I honestly think. Could if, he be a hundred point guy? I think he can be with that roster. I, th I think. Uh, yeah, that's that's the toughest part. But here's the thing. His comparisons are Sidney Crosby and Connor McDavid, the two best prospects we've seen in the last you know 23, 25 years and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I, I think Connor Bedard's game is right there, and he might even be just as NHL ready, maybe even more NHL ready than some of those other guys. He is, he is a smaller player. McDavid was playing on putrid Oiler teams when he when he first came up. And Crosby Cros saved the Pittsburgh Penguins franchise, and he had a hundred point season. Hundred in his rookie year. McDavid was yeah. on pace if he didn't. If he wasn't hurt, he was probably going to yeah, get right. there. He's going to heat up. So I, I think Bedard is on the same. But the talent just takes over for these guys. It I doesn't think so. matter who the heck they're I playing I honestly with. think Connor Bedard could be on 50-goal watch. Really? I think so. Really? Okay. I think so. I think he's just 50. as good as a prospect as them. It's a bit of a stretch. I think he's going to be due for 40 here. He is plays with a bit more of an edge in comparison to McDavid and Crosby. I'm not saying he's a physical player by any means. He mm -hmm. is undersized, but he doesn't shy away from that stuff. Yeah. And he's a more goal-hungry and goal-focused player. If you look at that release, you, you can't deny mm -hmm. that. It's like Austin Matthews-like, maybe even better. Well, Matthews uh, had 40 in his rookie year. That's that's kind of where I'm going with yeah. this. Like, I, I think Bedard is due for a and huge year. And he led the team year. in scoring in his rookie year as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, Bedard. And he's going to get every opportunity that he wants. He'll he's play been in every the, scenario. He's been given the keys to the franchise for the next 20 years. I think Bedard is due for at least 40 goals. And I think he can easily do a 40-40 season. Wow. Okay. Maybe more. All right. Okay. Uh, last one with you. As we've seen coming out of the pandemic, an explosion of offense around the league. The NHL has had 60 goal scorers uh, the last two seasons. Austin Matthews two years ago, and then Connor McDavid and David Pasternak last year. If there's a 60 goal scorer this year, it'll be uh, the longest consecutive stretch since 14 years in a row from 1980 to 1994. GVP, will there be a, I think we've already talked about it, will there be a 60-goal scorer this year? If so, how many get there, and who might they I, be? I think McDavid's, I, I don't want to say a lock for it, but I, I feel like he's going to be continuing his goal-scoring ways here. He, he might have liked the taste of the way that Maurice Richard trophy was, yep. and he's going to continue his goal-scoring ways. Drysaddle's another guy who could probably get to that marker yeah, just because he's playing mm -hmm. with McDavid. I think Pasternak's going to fall out of that 60-goal that yep. realm. Rantanen might be able to challenge it if people are saying I, I, uh, the Avalanche are going to be bouncing back this year, coming back with full strength. Rantanen is going to have to lead the charge alongside Nathan McKinnon there. Some guys that were on the outside looking in, even on 50 goals, but might be able to elevate their game even higher. I love Jason Robertson's game. Yeah, me game. too. And I, I'm not sure if he can get to that 60 plateau, but he's been knocking on the door at 50. Can he get to 55 and, and maybe make a run for it? I, I feel like that's Mm -hmm. in the realm of possibility some other guys Tage thompson maybe yeah. maybe so i feel like he's a year or two a couple away from from really challenging that 60 marker braden point should fall out of that realm i would feel can jack hughes really put on a huge offensive explosion that's the possibility mm -hmm. if if i had to pick just two guys to do it i would go mcdavid and then I, I, I would take Jason Robertson, honestly. Okay. But I, I could just because I feel could, like if McDavid's going to be taking up all that goal production, he's going to obviously be taking stuff off of Dreisaitl's plate. Exactly. So I, I, we're going to at least see one, I think. Okay. McDavid. At least one. So that would, uh, that would be the most since uh, the 1980 to 1994 stretch. Well, GVP, that was our first uh, burning NHL questions. I'm sure we'll bring I like that a lot. That was fun. That awesome. was fun. Uh, we'll bring that back uh, around the around the, as the season turns on and uh, gets going here mm -hmm. uh, as we get into October. Uh, 
what can I say? Uh, I want to thank uh, everybody that was involved in our show today. Uh, ben Wagner, Luke Gazdick, Rick Ball, Jordan Dijani. All those conversations are going to be up on our uh, podcast feed, Spotify, Google, Apple. Uh, the first three, Wagner, Gazdick, and Ball are already up there. Dijani will be up there uh, shortly after this show as well. Uh, we gave away our last sets of Expendables 4 tickets and Heritage Classic tickets. So enjoy those, everybody. Flames uh, of Possible Trivia will be back next week. Uh, and for everybody involved in our show, for GVP, I'm Patrick Dumas. Uh, Calgary Hitmen are on their airwaves tonight. Yes. Uh, they take on the Medicine Hat Tigers. 6 o'clock pregame with Logan Gordon. 7 o'clock puck drop down at the Dome with Jeff Hollock and Matty Rose on the call. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Keep it locked right here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.